So I'll start with a question. How many of you would like to be blessed by God? Raise your hand if you want to be. Okay, that's what I thought. Just about everybody. I actually think, I don't even think you need to believe in God to want to be blessed by God. <laughs> I think everybody would raise their hand. And some people would say, hey, if he exists, yeah, sure. So maybe that's some of you. Uh, glad you've joined us today at Carolina Family Church. My name is John. I'm the pastor here. And we're going to talk about that today. It's going to take us a little bit to get there. We're going to have to work through it as we discuss life lessons from the disciples. Now, this has been a really fun series. Can you agree this has been a fun series? It's been a fun series to prepare and also to preach. And we've had some guests some, people, some guys from our church that preached during this series, and it has been fantastic. So what we've been doing, for those of you that may be here for the first time, is we've been taking one of the disciples, it, it might be one of Jesus' 12 disciples, or it might be part of the greater group of disciples that were following him around, but we take one of them, and we dig into their life in the Bible to understand who they are, because they're human, just like you and me. Um, they were probably just as surprised to be disciples as you and I would be, or, or are. So uh, we're digging into their life to see what kind of lesson we can learn from them. And that's been pretty fun because some of them we don't have a lot of information on. And so we've, we've actually kind of gotten the joy of speculating a little bit as we've gone through the series, uh, which you have to be careful with, but it can, it can really add some color to the black and white that we see in scripture. And so we started off talking about Peter and Peter's faith, just how much faith Peter had. We talked about him getting out of the boat and going out to Jesus and walking on the water. We talked about him getting on the boat after Jesus, out of the boat after Jesus was resurrected and going after Jesus, like swimming to get to him. And he was a, he was a fun guy to get to know. And then we talked about Mary Magdalene on Mother's Day, which was a little, un, un, a little surprising because she's not one of the 12, um, but she's part of the, the broader group of disciples that followed Jesus around all the time. And we got to see her devotion and the special honor that that earned her with Jesus. And then Ben talked about Thomas, which was really interesting. You know, Thomas is famous for doubting. Uh, if you are new to church or you're new to the Bible, you probably have heard of a doubting Thomas before. And we, we learned that that we shouldn't really judge Thomas for his doubt. We find ourselves in the same place. And the point of the whole thing is that we get proof of Jesus and his resurrection. And then last week, man, it was, it was a good one. Jeremy talked about Judas and his, uh, his selfishness and the process he led that through. And I don't know about you, but I was surprised at how much I'm like him. And I, as, I was, as Jeremy and I were working and pre- preparing that message, I just thought, man, I'm a lot more like Judas than I ever thought I was. And that's a little scary. So um, Judas never got to see the risen Savior. He gave up before that time came, but you don't have to. And so that was a fantastic message last week. And today, now those were interesting because we really had to dig in and take a few verses and a couple stories and you know squeeze all the life out of it that we possibly could. This one's going to be a little different because today we're going to learn about the disciple who wrote more in the Bible than any of the other 12 that spent three years with Jesus. Today, we're going to talk about John, okay? Now, John with an H. My, my John does not have an H, okay, because I'm, I'm a Jonathan, but the name John at the time was just as popular as it is today, by the way. I think that's one of those names that has just never gone away, and um, so when you read in Scripture, you got to be careful to see which John are we talking about here, but the John we're talking about today is the one who was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He was the only John in that bunch, and the one who wrote the Gospel of John, and he wrote the three epistles of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and also wrote Revelation. And so he wrote a ton. We don't get that much writing from the other guys that followed Jesus around. Most of the writing in the New Testament comes from Paul. And, you know, realize this, Paul wasn't actually one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He wasn't there during Jesus' ministry. He came along later. 
And so we're gonna, you're going to hear from John, and I want to clear a few things up. We're going to talk a bit about uh, who this guy is. He's really fascinating. He's really interesting to get to know. Uh, John is unique among the people that we see in the, in the Bible. Now, to be clear, when I talk about John, because there are multiple ones you're going to find in Scripture, I'm not talking about John the Baptist. That's a different guy. That's Jesus' cousin. He was the front runner to Jesus. He came and he preached and he was a prophet and he came before Jesus and then Jesus came later. But that's not who we're talking about today. And it can be a little confusing because if you read the Gospel of John, you'll see this guy John talked about, but the writer, John, is not talking about himself when he says John. Anytime you're in the book of John and you see John's name come up, it's not talking about John, it's talking about John. Okay? <laughs> so anytime, yeah. So anytime, just trying to clear this up for everybody. So uh, anytime that John the Apostle uses the name John, he's talking about John the Baptist. Anytime John the Apostle in his gospel is writing about himself, he uses a special code name, a special nickname. He says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. So if you're reading in the Gospel of John and you see the disciple who Jesus, whom Jesus loved, John's talking about himself. All right, just to help you as you're working through that, John had a, uh, he had a special place. And, and today, as I say John, I'll be talking about the Apostle John, not John the Baptist, all right, the one who wrote the Gospels, the Epistles, and the Revelation. And so uh, he's an interesting guy. John was a... Uh, John was a blue-collar guy, like, like many of us, and um, he was, his trade was fishing. Now, there were a lot of disciples that were fishermen. It's interesting. Um, John actually had a family business fishing, and uh, several of the disciples had pre-existing relationships before Jesus came along. Like, they knew each other. They were friends. In fact, they were business partners. So John has a brother named James. So when you read about the 12 disciples and you say James the Greater, if it says James the Greater, uh, that's James, John's brother. So you got this is getting confusing. I'm sorry. I apologize for this. It's just hard. And sometimes in the Bible, you don't even know who they're talking about, honestly, which is one of the things, by the way, that leads me to be convinced, among many other things, that the Bible is true, okay? Because if this was made up, you wouldn't do that, all right? If you read a James Patterson novel, everybody's going to have different names. You know why? So you can keep them straight, but you don't have that in the Bible. You got all these James all over the place and a couple Judases and a bunch of Johns and who knows how many Marys. They're everywhere. So that's one of the things that proves to me that that's actually true. Uh, life is confusing. Fiction is not. Nonfiction is. So uh, anyway, so uh, John and James are brothers and they have a father uh, named Zebedee. They're called the sons of Zebedee. They're in a fishing business. Well, they have business partners in their fishing business and two of those business partners are Simon Peter all right, and his brother, Andrew. So, so Peter and Andrew are brothers, and they're in on the fishing business, so they're all doing this together. So actually, when Jesus goes and he calls Peter and Andrew to be his disciples, he says, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. He just walks down the beach a little ways, and he picks up James and John. Now, so James and John, their father Zebedee, I have to assume that he is, uh, he's in control of the fishing business in some way. They, they probably have money because we find out later, we'll read this, um, they have a connection to the high priest in Jerusalem, which is like the highest position that a Jew can hold at the time. And so they know people, they're in the inner circle, and they probably have some money and wealth. But Jesus comes along and he says, hey, I want you guys to follow me. And they all go, they all drop their nets, they just drop the mic and walk off, they go with Jesus. It's interesting, so their dad is uh, Zebedee, James and John's father is Zebedee, and their mother is Salome. 
who that name may sound familiar. Just a couple weeks ago, when we were talking about Mary Magdalene, we were talking about the women who followed Jesus around and provided for the ministry, and one of them was Salome, right? So, so when Jesus comes along, not only does Peter leave, not only does Andrew leave, not only does John leave, not only does James leave, but Salome leaves too. You can only imagine what Zebedee's thinking. <laughs> you know, his boys, his business partners, and his wife all take off to follow this Jesus guy, and he's left holding the nets. <laughs> you know. You can laugh at that. It's funny. So Zebedee, Zebedee's just going, what in the world? Now, that, you know, I wonder what happened to the business. Seems like half the employees just took off and followed this Jesus guy. But it also says in one of the Gospels that they left the boats with some of the other workers that were there. So obviously they had a big crew. I, I hope they were okay. But um, I know we talk about fishing at the time, and maybe it's hard to picture. So I just brought you a picture of their fishing boat. I think you'd appreciate this. That was, that was Peter's boat, of course. <laughs> it goes as fast as he can. <laughs> Not really. They were wooden boats. Anyway, so he decides to take off after and follow Jesus. Now, what do we know about John? Well, he was a fisherman, and the brother of James, son of Zebedee, son of, uh, of Salome. Uh, we also know that it, we understand that he was the youngest of all of the disciples. Now, I don't know how you picture the disciples, but at that time, when a, when a teacher started his public ministry, he started, he became a rabbi. He would take under him disciples. This is not just something Jesus did. This is what all the teachers at the time would do. So they would become a teacher. They would gather up a group of disciples and those disciples would be pretty young. They would have to be at least 13 years old. They weren't usually much older than that. So Peter was probably one of the older ones. We know that he had a wife. But John was the youngest one, which means that John, think about this, John was probably around 15 years old. He wasn't any younger than 13. He definitely wasn't any older than 18. So he's a teenager. John is, John's like a middle schooler <laughs> or a high schooler who's leaving home to go follow this team. Maybe that's why Salome went. <laughs> She's like, I'm not letting my teenager take off. I'm not letting him go off with this teacher all by himself. So mama came along, with, along for the trip. And so John, is, he's so young. He's just getting started. He's, one of the things I think is interesting about John and what we're going to see today is that while some of the disciples were older and they had their struggles, things like doubt and fear, you know, we've talked about through this here, selfishness with Judas I think John gets in early enough that he hasn't made any of those adult mistakes yet. And so John gets in with this youth and this, this innocence, and I believe that has something to do with why Jesus takes him under his wing. They almost have like a father and son relationship when they're out on the road. You know, John, John might have felt a little left out. He was, he was, the, he was the young one, right? He was the, he was the runt of the litter, Everyone else had their epic disciple beards, and he just had like the baby caterpillar hanging out up over his lip, you know? So John's just trying to figure this thing out. He's trying to learn as much as he can, and you can imagine he's got this youthful, this youthful, youthful energy and, and curiosity that's happening like we all do when we're teenagers. And uh, so those of you, by the way, that are here in your middle schoolers or high schoolers, you can relate. I know it seems like sometimes you look at the Bible, and you're like, I don't know if I can relate to this. These, half these people were your age. So they get you and you can get them. And as we look at John, we don't, we don't have any, when you look at the Bible, yes, he wrote a lot. 
But we don't have any like big John stories. That moment when John was out front and he was the center of it. Not like Peter getting out of the boat. You know, not like, not like Thomas doubting. Not like Judas betraying Jesus. Not like any of these guys. We don't, just don't have any stories like that of him. We don't see a bunch of flaws in John. We don't see rashness in him like we do in the other ones. And I just think John is interesting because John has a story of faithfulness from start to finish. He got in so young. You know, I've, um, I remember when I was in high school, I had, we had a student ministry at our church. And I had this youth pastor who was incredible. He was just amazing. He's full of energy uh, and hilarious and a great Bible teacher. And all the kids loved him. And he had this dramatic testimony. And I want to say testimony, for those of you who don't know what that is, it's just your story. It's, it's, it's taking the sto- God's story and your story and how they converge together. And what has God done in my life? That's what your testimony is. And he had this dramatic testimony because he used to be addicted to drugs and he used to sell drugs and he used to make all kinds of mistakes. He'd been in and out of jail most of his life and he had these stories he would tell of, I mean, he had one story where he ended up licking something off the back of a toilet. I don't know, you know, but when we were in high school, we were like, whoa, <laughs> you know? And, and I, he had this ability to relate to people in a way that I couldn't believe because he'd been there, he'd been through it, you know? But I was a church kid. I I had accepted Christ when I was five years old. I'd been baptized when I was seven years old. My dad was the pastor of the church. I was always at church. I was always at youth group. I was going on mission trips and serving here and putting, you know, doing youth ministry and band and music and singing and all this kind of stuff that I would do all the way. I'd always been in church and I'd always been a good kid. And I remember in the back of my mind, every time I would listen to his testimony, I would think, I wish I had a testimony like that. Mine's boring. (laughs) I mean, I could tell people my story, but it's a snooze fest. Who wants to listen to that? Nobody. I thought, man, if I had a story like that, though, that would be powerful. And that thought rung just in the back of my head. And I wonder, I, I, I graduated from high school. I went off on my own. I made some mistakes, not huge ones. I've never, I've never been in jail. I've never been addicted to drugs. I've never, never had that stuff. But I made my share of mistakes along the way. And I wonder somewhere with that thought in the back of my head, if I thought, hey, maybe these are my testimony building years. You know? Because <laughs> I've got some stories. I do. I don't tell them too often because I don't want to glorify them. But I remember one time I was talking to somebody. It's when I was an adult. I'd graduated from college. I moved down. I was here in the Salisbury area. And I met somebody who had a story a lot like my youth pastors. And it was so dynamic and so powerful and compelling. And so, and I told him the thought that had been in the back of my head for years and years and years finally came out right here. And I said to them, I wish I had a testimony like yours. They said, tell me, tell me your testimony. And so I said, well, it's pretty boring accepted Christ when I was five, got baptized when I was seven. I've always been in church. There's been times in my life where I've ignored God, but I've never turned my back on him. I've never, you know, denied him or anything like that. And, and I just said, I look back and I said, I just wish my story was more, more dynamic. I wish I had a testimony like yours. And they looked back at me and they said, don't you ever say that again. 
because they looked at me and said, I wish I had a testimony like yours. You can't undo what you've been through. You can only use what you've been through. And I look at John, and I feel like John has that testimony. It's boring, man, in some ways. Because he was just faithful and faithful and faithful and faithful and faithful. And so my question is I look at him. Because, like I said, we, none of us, we can't do anything about where we've been and what we've been through. All we can do is something about where we're going. And the question is, how do, no matter where I've been and what my story has been up to this point, how do I have a testimony of faithfulness from this moment forward? How could I be like John from now on? How did he do it? Here's what I want to do. I want to read you um, three stories from John. Uh, right from his gospel, so the gospel of John. If you have your Bibles, you, if you want to turn there, you can. Um, this is the fourth book of the New Testament. It's the, it's the last gospel. Um, and we're going to start in 13. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to read the, story, the stories to you. Um, I'll, I'll add a little explanation where it's needed, but for, for the most part, I'll just let them speak for themselves. And then when we get done with them, I want you to be looking for a common thread as we go through these stories. How did John do it? How did John remain this faithful? So we're going to start in John 13, uh, verse 21 to 25. Um, This is, by the way, this is when Jesus uh, and his disciples are at the Last Supper. So they're in the upper room. Um, Jesus is going to institute communion, which we're going to do later today. Um, And uh, he's just, what he's just done in the Gospel of John is washed the disciples' feet. He's explaining servanthood and being a master and the last being first and all this. And then he says in um, verse 21, After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. We talked about this last week when we talked about Judas, right? The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. You remember Jeremy did such a great job with this. The disciples had no idea that Judas was was a traitor. He did such a good job of hiding his selfishness and frustration, they had no clue. So they're looking around. One of the disciples whom Jesus loved, so this is John, right? He's talking about himself. One of the disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So the disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Now, let's go to John 18. All right, John 18, uh, 15, and the first part is 16. So now, um, they've left the upper room. They've gone to the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas has taken off to go betray Jesus, and Jesus goes to the Garden to pray. And Peter, James, and John are, are set aside to guard as Jesus is praying. But eventually, Judas comes and betrays Jesus, and they take him away. And here's what happens. John 18, 15 through 16. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Well, who's John talking about when he says, so did another disciple? Himself, right? He's talking, if, he, if it had been someone else, he would have named them. It's Peter takes off, and John goes to follow him. Since that disciple was known to the high priest. So John had an in with the leadership. He entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood outside at the door. So John knew the high priest, so he got the, the, he got the VIP treatment. He got to go in with Jesus, but Peter had to stay outside. 
And eventually John uses his sway to get Peter in as well. But, all right, so that's uh, John 18. Now let's go to uh, 19. Jesus is tried and, uh, and convicted, and he is then brought to be crucified in verse 19, or, or chapter 19, verse 26. When Jesus is being crucified, he's, he's hanging on the cross. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, so who's this? John, right? So Mary and John are standing nearby. He said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own house. All right, now let's go uh, to John 21. So Jesus dies on the cross. His body is taken off of the cross and it's placed into the tomb. He rises again on the third day. We're not gonna read it, but John, Mary Magdalene's the first one who notices. She goes back and tells the disciples, Peter and John take off to the tomb. John gets there first. John looks in first, uh, but Peter goes in first. Jesus is resurrected. Jesus appears to his disciples uh, one time, two times, and then the third fishing, a third time while they're fishing. If you remember, we talked about that in the Peter message. Um, he, uh, it's, the, it's the miraculous catch of fish. It's where um, Jesus shows up on the shore and all the disciples, they didn't know what to do. They decided to go back to fishing. So they're out there fishing. They're not catching anything. Jesus yells to him from the shore, the resurrected Jesus, yells to him from the shore and says, have you caught anything? You got any fish? And they said, no. He says, throw the nets on the other side. So they did, and it was, they caught so many fish, they barely had room enough for it, and that's when they realize who's standing on the shore. That's Jesus. That's when Peter gets out and starts swimming over to him while all the, disciple, the other disciples have to bring in the fish. They sit around the, the fire and eat the, eat the meal, and, and Jesus restores Peter. We talked about that again in the message, first message of the series. And then uh, he predicts Peter's death. He tells Peter that, um, in so many words, that he's going to die by crucifixion. And then here's what happens in John chapter 21, uh, verse 20. Peter, t- Peter and Jesus are walking. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. So they're walking and Peter's following, or, or John is following. The one who had also leaned back against him during the supper. And he said, Lord, what is it that is going... Or, And that said, who is it that's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? So Peter said, well, I'm going to die by crucifixion. What about your special boy? All right, what about John? What's going to happen to him? And Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what's that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die, that John wasn't going to die. Yet Jesus did not say that he was not going to die. But if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? And John did live to an old age, unlike the other disciples. Now, as we look back through those three stories, let me ask you a question. We may, we're going to see a thread running through here. Where is John in all those stories. Where is John? He is right next to Jesus. Always. 
always. When they're at the Last Supper, where is John? He's reclining at the table next to Jesus. When he asks Jesus the question, he basically gets up on top of him. <laughs> he leans all the way up on top of him. When, when, when Jesus is, is being, has been uh, arrested and being taken, where's John? He's following right behind him. He's the first one into the courtyard. When Jesus is crucified, where's John? Standing at the foot of the cross, right? As far as we know, he's the only disciple who's there. Everybody else is scared, scared of what's going to happen to him. But John is right there. Where is John when Jesus is walking with Peter and, talk, and restoring him and talking about how he's going to die? Where's John? Creeping behind him. He's a sidler. Right? He's just, he's right up. He's following all the time. And here's I, I think this is the key to John living the life of faithfulness that he lived. He was as close to Jesus as he could possibly be all the time. Physically. See, I think he took what Jesus taught very seriously. He writes this down. One of the things that Jesus taught at the Last Supper. John chapter 15. Jesus said this. Abide in me. And I in you. Now that's not a word that we use very often, abide. But what it means is to remain or stay or to rest. And Jesus is saying, remain, not with me, remain in me. And I think John took that very seriously. That I want to be in Christ. I want to be, I want to know him as well as I can. You see, the, the gospel of John is different than the other gospels because the author is different and the purpose is different. The first three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called the synoptic gospels, and then John is kind of its own thing. Why? Well, the first three gospels are not written by Jesus' closest friends. The first gospel is written by Matthew. Yes, he was one of the 12 disciples, but he wasn't part of the inner circle. Jesus had an inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And whenever he did, went to do something special, those are the ones he took. So when he raised Jairus' daughter back to life, he took Peter, James, and John in with him. When, he, when, he, when the transfiguration happened, the guys he took was Peter, James, and John. When he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and he wanted people to look out to be lookouts, he chose Peter, James, and John. Those were the three inner circle guys. Matthew was on the outside of that. Mark wasn't even one of Jesus' disciples. Mark, uh, the second gospel writer, was a, was a disciple of Peter. And so he had secondhand information, and he actually pulled a lot of what he shared from the, the gospel of Matthew. They had similar sources. And then Luke wasn't one of Jesus' disciples either. Luke was a historian who was hired to write a, his, a biography of Jesus. And, so, and then the biography of the early church. That's where the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts come from. But John, John is Jesus' best friend. And so while the purpose of the first three Gospels is to give us a historical understanding of Jesus, the purpose of John is to give us a personal understanding of Jesus. The first three Gospels show us what Jesus did. John's Gospel shows us who Jesus is. 
Because John wants you to be able to do the same thing that he did, to abide in Jesus, to know Jesus, to understand his character and the way that he talked to people and the way that he was gracious to people. And that's why we get what we get from John in his gospel. He says, John 15, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. See, John took this so seriously. He wanted to know Christ as much as he possibly could so he could live like Christ and have a story of faithfulness. All right. It says, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So if, if, we, if we're not in Christ, if we're not following Christ, if we're not living his, his style of life and following his commandments, then we'll waste our life. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. That doesn't mean you get whatever you want, but when you abide in Christ, your desires changes, your, your expectations change. And by this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, this is Jesus speaking, these things I've spoken to you so that, your, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus understood that a joyful, fulfilling, and peaceful life comes from abiding in him and following his commandments. And so John did that. You know, with the other disciples, we got to really dig in to say, well, what was the lesson from their life? We don't have to dig into John to know what the lesson is from his life. He tells us what it is. Now listen to what he writes in the, the letter of 1 John. As he's teaching, Jesus is now, Jesus is ascended back to heaven, and John is doing the work of the church on earth, and he writes a letter, and listen to what he says. See if this sounds familiar. 1 John chapter 2. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Well, it's an interesting choice of words, isn't it? Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. And now in verse 28, and now little children abide in him. John almost sounds like a broken record. He wants to just Beat this into our skulls that this is the path to abide in Christ. Now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And then he says in uh, chapter 3, verse 3, anyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So if you want to know, I said at the beginning, I asked if you wanted to be blessed by God. John is the blueprint to how that happens. The way that we get blessing from God or favor from God is to abide in Christ and to follow his commandments. That's it. To abide in him and follow his commandments. And so I put together a little phrase that I thought was clever. My wife did not agree God's favor is the result of knowing the Savior and replicating his behavior. 
All right, now I'm not talking about salvation here, okay? Salvation comes through faith in Christ. It's believing that he died on the cross for your sin and that he rose again. But then as we go through life, secure in that, as we go through life, if we want the favor of God and the blessing of God in our life, then what we need to do is abide in Christ and live like him. Which means, as John said, the goal of my life should be purity. The goal of my life should be holiness. It should be righteousness. I don't know about you, but that scares me. That that doesn't sit well with me because I'm a human being and because, boy, I like to make excuses for myself. Every time I mess up, Every time I lose my cool, every time I'm selfish, every time I'm, I'm quick-tempered, quick I said that twice on purpose, every time that that happens, I've got some excuse. Well, it's not my fault. They, my boss, they shouldn't have cut in front of me. You know, it's, not, it's not my fault. And... Did Jesus ever say that, by the way? He didn't need to, did he? You know why? Because he always kept his cool. Because he was always selfless. And what I found is that when I'm being selfish and quick-tempered, that I don't have the blessing of God. I just don't. Because I'm living outside the character of Christ. And then I feel frustrated, and then my relationships start falling apart, and then I'm critical all the time, and and this is what happens in my life. But I, I love to make excuses. And even if I don't have an excuse, this is what I do. Well, I'm, I'm only human. That's the, that's the, it's like the trump card, right? I'm only human. Make mistakes. It's okay. Well, it's not okay. It's not okay. And if I think it's okay, then I'm not going to make a different decision next time, right? I need to be able to look at that mistake I made and say, that's not okay. And I'm not doing that again. I'm not going to make that same mistake twice. I don't know if any of you are basketball fans, uh, but the other night there was a game, and if you that follow me on social media know I wasn't pleased. Okay, it was the uh, the finals game, finals game between first game one in the series, uh, best of seven with the Cavs and the Warriors, and I don't care who wins. I guess I'm pulling for the Cavs because they're the underdog, and I always pull for the underdog. Uh, but the the uh, the referee, man, it was bad. It was game-changingly bad, okay? And uh, we can debate any one call, but what, here's what happened. The announcer um, uh, was, he was doing a good thing. He was, he was trying to stand up for the refs, who were obviously really, really bad. And uh, he kept saying, the first time he made the mistake, it was a, clearly, it was, a, it was a clean strip, and they called a foul. And um, he said, hey, well, you know, he's, he's, he's a human. They make mistakes. It's part of the game. Well, and then the second time, they made a terrible call. He said the same thing. He said, well, they're human, you know, they're, they make mistakes. And then he said it again. And then he said it again. And then he said it again. And he said it again. And I thought, okay, one time. Maybe twice. But when we get to the fourth or fifth time, we need to start admitting we've got a pattern on our hands. Okay? When we make mistakes... It's okay for us to be the first or second time to say, hey, listen, I'm a human. I make mistakes. 
But the second time, the third time, the fourth time, we got to be honest with ourselves and say, I've got a pattern on my hands now. And if I want the blessing of God, if I want, if I want healthy relationships, if I want to feel close, then I've got to get these things worked out. And I have to commit myself to purity. I need to commit myself to holiness. And the only way I know what that is is by abiding in Christ. But when we do that, we get tremendous blessings. Let me tell you some of the blessings that John got. And they're not what we typically think of as blessings. When we abide in Christ, he changes what those things are to us. He changes the definition. So blessings aren't money or cars or houses or jobs or, you know, influence or anything like that. Here's some of the blessings John got as a result of abiding in Christ and the holiness that it brought in his life. First, John got responsibility. That's a blessing. Do you know that's a blessing? He got responsibility. When Jesus looked down off of the cross and he said, John, you're going to take, she is your mother now. And he took Mary under his wing into his own house. We understand from history, he took care of her right until the time was up. About 12 years he stayed in Jerusalem with Mary. If, If you're abiding in Christ and you are you are following his commandments, God is going to bless you with responsibility an understanding of responsibility that you have. If you have children, you have a great responsibility. And the only way you're going to be blessed in your relationship with your kids is if you're abiding in Christ and following his commandments as you parent. Some of you have been blessed with the responsibility over your parents, which sometimes may not feel that way. Some of you are in that stage of life. Some of you have been blessed with responsibility in school with your friends on your team or your your club or your class. Some of you have been blessed with responsibility at work. Some of you have been blessed with responsibility in the church as group leaders, team leaders, pastors, worship leaders. That is a blessing from God to know that you're serving him in those capacities. John got that blessing. John also got the blessing of persecution. Again, we wouldn't define it that way until you abide in Christ and you understand that we can consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. That the disciples counted it an honor to be persecuted for the name of Jesus. John himself, though he lived to an an old age, after his time taking care of Mary was done, he moved to Ephesus and he led the church in Ephesus for a while. A new emperor came into power. His name was Domitian. He wanted to make an example. He didn't like Christianity. He claimed that he himself was a God. And so he had to make an example of these Christians. And who better to pick than the OG? John, last one standing. And so they brought John to the Colosseum. You know the Colosseum in Rome? They brought him to the Colosseum. And in the middle of the Colosseum was a vat of boiling oil. And they were going to put John in. They were going to deep fry John. But as John was getting ready to go into the oil... He was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you can be saved from your sins, that Jesus will forgive you by his blood on the cross, and you can have confidence in him through his resurrection. And they took John and they put him into the oil, and the oil had no effect on him. It couldn't touch him. Reminds me of a story from the Old Testament when three men were thrown into a fiery furnace, and the flames had no effect on them. 
fourth man showed up in the furnace out of nowhere the the oil had no effect on John and he continued to preach the gospel in the Colosseum and we know that there's there are sources outside of the Bible that tell us this historians that this happened that John got out of the oil and history tells us that everyone in the Colosseum accepted Christ as their savior See, John got the blessing of persecution because in persecution, we are afforded the contrast to put the gospel on display. So don't be afraid of it. It's a blessing. John got the blessing of persecution. The third blessing I see John got was the blessing of revelation. Literally, the revelation. (laughs) See, after they failed to kill him in the oil, Domitian sent him to exile on the Isle of Patmos, which is in the Aegean Sea. He was sentenced to hard labor, and that's where he spent the rest of his life. And while he was doing hard labor on the island of Patmos, God gave him a vision, a vision of what would be coming, of what was going to happen. And ultimately to know that Christ would get the victory over Satan. John got the blessing of that. And if we abide in Christ and follow his commandments, he gives us the blessing of revelation. To to know him, to know what his plan is, to have clarity, to know where he's taking us and and what what he's going to do, not only in our life, but in the, the history of the world. We get that blessing. And then the fourth blessing that John got, I think if you asked him, he would say this is the best one fourth blessing that John got was a relationship. He got Jesus himself. By faith in Jesus, he got the Holy Spirit in his life. A personal relationship with the God of the universe. And if you abide in Christ, if you accept him by faith and you abide in Christ, and you follow his commandments, you get the same thing. To know that Christ is always with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And you will never be alone. And to know that he's given you his spirit with you all the time. And those are the greatest blessings that we could ever receive. So I don't know what it means for you to step up Abiding. Maybe it means to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior for the first time today, to believe in his death on the cross for you. To say, I've failed and I'm not God. I've sinned and I believe that Jesus paid for my sin and I accept it. I believe that he rose again. And if you believe that and you put your faith in him today, he forgives your sin. You know you have no need to fear God ever again. And he sends his Holy Spirit to live with you. Maybe if you're like me, you go through seasons where you find that you're not abiding in the vine. You're abiding in a whole lot of other things, but not him. And so I want to encourage you to recommit yourself today to abiding in Christ every minute of every day. Maybe it means setting aside time every day to read the word, to read scripture. And if you don't know where to start, start with John. Start with the Gospel of John because as you read it, you will get to know Jesus. 
to pray every minute of every day, but maybe to set aside a time of prayer where you're focusing on him. Abide in him. Follow his commandments. That's how we receive the blessing of God. All right, let's pray together. God, we come to you and um, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your faithfulness that you gave us your son. That, that if, we, if we are in him, if we, if we get to know you, Jesus, to see how you lived and how you dealt with people, how you treated people, that we ourselves can begin on a path of, a path of perfection. And yes, we are human. And yes, we wrestle with our sin nature day in and day out. And yes, we do make mistakes. But let us not make excuses for anything short of the target we are aiming at. That we would be pursuing you every day. God, I pray for each person who's here. That you'd make clear to them what their next step is. That there may be someone here today who's never accepted you by faith. They've been carrying the weight of their own sin their entire life, not knowing they could just cast it on you. And today they realize for the first time that they can. All they have to do is put their faith in you and believe that you are who you say you are. That you died for them on the cross. That you rose again. And as they believe that in their heart, as they believe that for the first time, God, send them your spirit to lead them and guide them as you forgive them of their sin that you have hope and joy planned for them. God, I pray for each of us who maybe we find we're in a season right now we're not abiding in you, or maybe we don't feel like we ever really have. Let's say today be the day that we start. And to say, Jesus, I want to grow close to you, to become like you, so that I can know what blessing is and so I can experience it in the way you intend for me to. So God, I pray that you lead us in that. And as we prepare now to symbolize that, I pray you would let our hearts be true. It's in your name we pray. Amen.